You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. the Bama Online Podcast. I'm Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL, joined by beat reporter for the website, the one, the only, Mr. Charlie Potter. We are putting a weekend to bed. We are putting a really busy week over these last seven days to bed, and we're also going to look ahead. Some key items of interest to start the week coming up, specifically You talk about SEC football scheduling, the anticipation for that on the heels of the revelation that we will have a 10-game conference-only schedule in 2020. And also, what's John Petty going to do? John Petty coming back for another year for a senior season with Nate Oates and that men's basketball program. And joining me now to talk about all that and some more is the one, the only, the aforementioned Charlie Potter. Charlie, how you doing? I'm good, man. It's good to be back. And yeah, this is shaping up to be a very interesting week. I mean, I think we've said that throughout this whole summer and, and time off, so to speak. But this is this is going to shape up to be a, a newsy several days here. Some defining moments coming up uh, for some for some different sports uh, over at the University of Alabama and the far reaching impact that, you know, this football season could have on the athletic department. As a whole, certainly from a financial standpoint and understanding it is very much the golden goose over there off Bryant Drive. But first things first, Charlie, how was the weekend, man? Did you uh, anything good on Netflix? Did you catch the Braves? How about the Braves? Thank goodness for the New York Mets, right? Got to love the Mets. And Ioannis uh, Cespedes, uh, how about Ioannis uh, of the Mets over the weekend? Nobody could find him about midway through Sunday's game. You got to love that, right? Yeah, I think he chose to opt out. He, he did it in a very rare way, and Cespedes is one of their best players, and to not have him on the field as a Braves fan, that, that's good to see, but um, obviously a lot of these guys are, are choosing to, to not play, and that's kind of been the the theme for sports this last week. I mean, we saw a lot of guys in the NFL and guys that, that played at Alabama do the same, but when it comes to the Braves, I mean, I think they've won five in a row, and yeah. uh, it, it was a rocky start. Uh, I think we mentioned it on your radio show. You, you, know, you lose sleep in between starts between uh, Soroka <laughs> and Freed. Uh, you, you start to bite the fingernails a little more. But you know, give them credit; they were able to pull off some wins, and uh, they, they've been looking good so far. Tuki Toussaint gave you a quality start, though, on Saturday, I guess. And you know, but Kyle Wright, you know, you're still not sure about him after Sunday, but. Good to see some of those bats come alive. Ronald Acuna needed a big game. He had it on Saturday, uh, you know, after the the four strikeout performance down in Tampa Bay. uh, You saw Freddie Freeman bounce back the way you would expect him to do it. So still a club that's trying to come together. But, hey, at this point, you're just happy when you wake up and you see or hear that your favorite team in Major League Baseball is actually going to play that day because it's crazy, man. 
it's literally like MLB is just flying by the seat of its pants. At first, it was the Marlins, you know, as a sort of an extension of that with the COVID-19 outbreak. It's the Phillies. Now we hear about the Cardinals. Uh, you really don't know, Charlie, day to day, who the hell's going to be able to put a team on the diamond. No, you're right. I mean, baseball's had a rough go at this. And you look at what um, the NBA and the NHL are doing with these bubbles and the way they've handled things. And it's it's going great for them. I mean, the NBA, I mean, there hasn't been much defense, but it's been fun to watch. And I'm a magic of start of the season back with two wins. But from a baseball perspective, yeah, I mean, several teams have just had a rough go at this. I mean, I think it kind of starts at the top with, with how baseball is, is operated and things like that. But, um, you know, for the Braves, it, it helps, I think, to to show the severity of the situation when you have a guy like Freddie Freeman, who's one of the best players in the league, and the stories that he has and, and what he said about having the virus and how uh, he basically prayed to uh, you know not die that night, the fever that he was running and the way that he was feeling. And, you know, that resonates, I think, in a, in a locker room. Everybody, you know, has to make their own decisions. You're not bubbled up in, in Disney World or anything like that. But it is. I mean, so far, so good, knock on wood. Uh, the Braves have, have been lucky. You even get a guy like Nick Markakis who chose to you know, start the season not playing. He's decided to come back. So, you know, you, you just hope that they can you know, figure things out and, and stay the course and, and hopefully baseball won't have to shut down. But you know, they've had, like I said, a rough go of this to start. It's like a revolving door right now. Cespedes opts out on Sunday and Nick Markakis, who before the season said he would not play uh, in the 2020 shortened season, now is going to come back. I guess it just speaks to the uncertainty on a lot of levels. Look, I think we, most of us anyway, are taking this pandemic very seriously and in a respectful manner. But at the end of the day, uh, I think a lot of folks out there, and understandably so, still feel as if they don't know really all that much more about this thing than they did back on March the 12th. And with that, you're just kind of, again, seeing these random situations uh that are in play and look what we're hoping for each and every one of you out there is that uh, you follow safety guidelines as closely as you can because it's not only going to help yourself it's likely going to help others including folks you you may not even know but you know you talk about the bubble sports and golf really isn't a bubble sport the pga tour now obviously you've got some built-in advantages when it comes to social distancing being outside on big properties like uh, the PGA Tour is. Uh, they've had a nice run and since since their restart uh, back in June. And uh, speaking of nice runs, how about our guy Justin Thomas, former Alabama All-American Haskins Award winner back in 2012. Just a check for $1.8 million on Sunday he picked up. Charlie, that'll work, right? That'll spend pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think you would take that. And you know, Justin <laughs> Thomas is... I think he's climbed back to world number one, so yeah. hell of a weekend for him. And uh, it seems like let's see all the posts that you put up on the website, um, keeping track of all the former Alabama players in the PGA, and uh, it, they've been busy. And it is a sport, though. It, it's different than a baseball or a basketball because it's not uh, a close contact sport. There is no contact with other people other than maybe your caddy. 
So you, you got to think that they feel pretty good about that without having very many, if any, spectators. So uh, hopefully golf could continue because if it does, it sounds like it's going to be a lot more successful weekends for former Alabama players. You know, I think uh, it might be kicking and screaming, but we're going to convert Charlie Potter. Charlie Potter, at some point in the future, is going to become a big fan of the pro golf on the cable. We're working on Charlie. It's kind of hard to avoid it, you know, right, Charlie? I mean, you you know, this past weekend between the PGA Corn Ferry Tours and men's golf, you had three tournaments. You had two tournaments on the PGA Tour, one on the Corn Ferry Tour, sort of the feeder tour into the PGA Tour. And then on the LPGA Tour, you had the restart for the ladies. And between four tournaments on those three tours, you had 12 Alabama alums involved. I mean, it's it's crazy. So we've kind of made more of an effort at BamaOnline.com, maybe you've noticed, to sort of keep you up to speed on former Alabama standouts in professional golf. And it's kind of two-sided, okay, with what I'm doing there. Uh, first of all, I love golf. I, I, I love keeping up with, with these players and, and things like that. I think we have a base of our subscriber uh, base that enjoys it as well. But And, and I'm not trying to be glass half empty guy okay but in the event it goes south for football in the coming month or two it looks like golf's gonna sustain so you've got majors out there beginning with this week's pga championship you got the u.s open next month you've got the masters for augusta in november hey i'm just saying i'm not hoping i'm not predicting all right i'm just saying in sort of a nuclear winter scenario, we might all need golf come November. That's all That's all I'm saying. But congratulations to Justin Thomas on his third win of the PGA Tour season, his second World Golf Championship. And as Charlie said, see, Charlie's already getting some of those statistics down. JT back to number one in the world. Uh, it was also graduation weekend here in Tuscaloosa over the weekend. Charlie, um, did you get out? Did you notice sort of an influx of folks in town? I moved our uh, help move, our 18-year-old, into Tutwiler Hall on Saturday, by the way. So it's all starting to happen again out and about in Tuscaloosa and around the UA campus. Yeah, I made it a point to kind of avoid uh, Bryant Drive and and, uh, Coleman Coliseum this past weekend because of graduation. I know, obviously, with the pandemic and and social distancing, it's going to be the same. But graduation crowds are are a thing. And um, you can tell, though, it's kind of getting that point in the year where you have the the summer commencement. I know that um, you have some leftovers from the spring and stuff like that. But Kids are starting to get back onto campus. We went by Target uh, over on Veterans Memorial, and it was it was a mistake. <laughs> so, how many cuss tell- words? How many cuss words in two sentences were you able to get in there when you walked well, into that Target? That's the benefit 20- of wearing a, that's the benefit of wearing a mask. You can mumble those under your breath and <laughs> talk and tell where it comes from. So, um, Target on uh, the weekends is is tough to go to anyway, especially on Sunday. Right. But when kids start to get back on campus and the parents are there and, and buying anything and everything that they need, it's it's a nightmare. So uh, avoided the the graduation crowd and um, you know I know Alabama had I believe twenty three student athletes to to get their degrees this weekend, including six for football. And I know Tua was a part of that virtually. Um, but 
I wasn't able to avoid the move in crowd that's starting to come into campus over at Target. So, uh, you know, to each their own, it was bittersweet, I guess, for me. But, uh, you know, congrats to those graduates. I know it's been a, a rocky school year this past year, but a lot of them got to see that hard work pay off this weekend. Yeah, awesome. The, you know, as a parent, that's the that's the ultimate. You know, we talk about student athletes and we talk about big time college athletics and it is what it is. It's a billion dollar industry. But at the end of the day, the goal is to get a degree, to you know, get a uh, uh, certificate of uh, degree work. And that's what uh, this past weekend was about. And kind of on the other end of that spectrum, as I said, we got a uh, we got a new one in there at UA at Tutwiler. So. Uh, thoughts and prayers appreciated as we move forward on that front as well. Hey, we're going to step aside for a quick break here on the Bama Online podcast. When we come back, some other topics we're going to get into scheduling for the SEC in football for the 2020 season. What might that look like? How about John Petty? We are essentially at decision day for the rising senior shooting guard for the Alabama men's basketball team. We'll talk about some scenarios for Alabama men's basketball in 2020 and 2021, the 2020-21 season, uh, both ways, with John Petty, potentially without John Petty, what might that team look like? And also, how realistic, how much stock do you put into the possibility of opt-outs in collegiate athletics, whether it's because of the coronavirus, whether it's in response to social injustice, all those things coming up next when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we are back with more of the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, we'd appreciate a subscription to the podcast. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. That would be greatly appreciated as well. So, Charlie, I know you wrote about this, did a really nice outline of a potential schedule for Alabama in 2020 on the heels of the announcement that the conference will go SEC only for 10 games in the regular season. I know that Bud Elliott of 247sports.com also did a pretty extensive piece sort of researching how this thing might play out between uh, I guess as much as anything, competitive balance, right? And, and trying to make sure you keep this as fair as you possibly can for the 14-member schools. So where are you at on this right now, Charlie, in terms of how this schedule might lay out for Alabama and really the rest of the SEC in general? That's uh, the question of the day because it, it sounds like the SEC has been mulling over a few different options. And I think the thing that we know is they're going to keep the divisions. So you're going to have the SEC West and the SEC East competing to, to play for the SEC championship game. 
And uh, at that point, it just, you know, it, it becomes unclear. You know, we heard initially that it might be you know, the team's next on the rotation uh, for, for Alabama and the, the rest of the SEC schools. So that would be Florida and, and Vanderbilt. They're the teams that are going to play in 2021 and 2022. Uh, some people have said that's not true or that's premature or just spitballing. Uh, I know you mentioned Bud's story and uh, to create competitive balance, he threw in Florida and uh, Missouri on Alabama's schedule. And uh, I think a lot of people would like to see um, Alabama play Florida. Uh, I think at the same time, though, you think that, well, then Alabama plays um, the, the best teams out of the East. They get Georgia and Florida this year, uh, if that's the case. And I, I know they want to see that uh, competitive uh, game, but does that put them maybe at a disadvantage? The only thing that Alabama can't hang its hat on is Alabama doesn't get to play Alabama. So when you talk about strength of schedule, it doesn't have that uh, in its back pocket. But it's really going to be interesting uh, to see what changes they make because outside of the Georgia game, everything else kind of falls in line. You think that maybe they would push uh, the the back part of the schedule back because you're going to have a, a bye week in the middle of the season, and then you're going to have a bye week. Um, the week of December 12th. So basically the final week of the regular season and then uh, in between that and the, the SEC championship game. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it shifts. If you look at Alabama's online schedule, it's all gone. It just has Alabama logos and, and to be determined up. Uh, but the, the Georgia game is supposed to kick off on September uh, 19th. And now that's out the window with a pushback, uh, or the day, start date pushed back to September 26th. It could be as easy as that game gets pushed back one week because both teams are set to play uh, non-conference games on the 26th, but you never know. I mean, some people have thrown out playing the Iron Bowl the first week of the season. Yeah. Um, you've seen some things on Twitter where maybe, you know, Vandy is added to the schedule in Florida and then Vandy's the first game. And, and that would, you know, I think Nick Saban and his staff would sleep a little easier because you could, you know, prepare and, and know that's a winnable game out the gate. But there's just so many options that have been floated out there on social media and uh, the SEC seems to be taking its sweet time to, to put that out there. So, now, hopefully by the time this is up or shortly afterwards that we'll we'll know and you know have a better idea of what the schedule will look like and you know what weeks that I need to change my hotel room reservations for. <laughs> look, it's twenty twenty, okay? So why not just put the Iron Bowl right up front, move Georgia <laughs> to the last game? Just flip flop them, you know. But it is interesting because in keeping with the divisional approach, uh, there's already been talk in the Big Ten that in that league, it appears or sounds as if there may be a real effort to get divisional games up front so you can do everything possible to try to make sure they get played. Uh, In other words, if you have some issues early in the season, you can have some room to maybe push them back uh, if you need to. So that'll be very fascinating from the SEC perspective to see how this all lays out. I would think the SEC would prefer in a perfect world, which it obviously isn't in 2020, um, to not necessarily shoot its wad week one with, say, Alabama, Auburn, um, you know, Florida, Tennessee, uh, you know, Georgia, Auburn, uh, Georgia, Florida, those kind of games right out the bat. You know, I would think you would like a little bit at least a game or two to kind of run up into those center cut games uh, mm-hmm. that we typically see as the season progresses. But you know, a lot has to go into that decision. 
And uh, it's just amazing, man, to just kind of look at how about the staggered approach to the start of the season from the Big 12 on August the 29th, it looks like, to the SEC on September the 26th. I mean, you're going to be waiting on Alabama to play its opener. And I think Oklahoma could have played probably three games by the time Alabama kicks its season off, Charlie. Yeah, that is wild because I think whenever um, we kind of saw the shift of, of the conferences choosing to play only league games, that there would be some kind of uniformity among the Power Five conferences and, and they would kind of traject to doing the same thing. But while all of them, except I don't think the Big 12 has made conference only official yet, I might have missed that. But um, so far, while they've went the same path, the starting line is definitely different for each one so it, it is strange um I, I didn't really see that one coming and uh you, you would think though because with so much going on whether it's the pandemic and the decision to change the schedules to only playing against their own conference members and basically all of power five doing that and then given you know the um the unrest about social justice and things like that it, it just seems like the power five is is inching further and further away from the NCAA, but they're not doing so in a, in a uniform manner, at least when it comes to, to scheduling and, uh, you know, getting those started at the same time. So it is strange. Um, yeah, I think with the SEC, I know, you know, some people scratch their heads, like, why would you wait? But you, you get a little time to get uh, students back on campus to see how that goes. Uh, and I think that's a benefit. Another benefit is you get to see how the NFL and, and high school even uh, go about this thing. So you kind of get to wait in the wings a little bit and, and see you know, what works, what doesn't. But, um, you know, nonetheless, I think people are still hopeful that football is going to happen. And even a, a delayed start date, which you and I have talked about, is a, a real possibility since this whole thing kind of started up is, you know, I think you'll take it at this point. Yeah, you just cannot have enough data right now. And so it does make sense from that standpoint to continue to wait this thing out for as long as you possibly can. And as you outlined, from high school to the NFL, if you're the SEC right now, Major League Baseball, the mistakes that have been made there, perhaps in some instances and, you know, how you can learn from even a sport like baseball right now and you know, working outside of a, a bubble scenario if you're Greg Sankey and those folks, you again, you can't get enough information. And at some point, though, you've got to make a decision that you're going. And yeah. so with that, I would guess this week we should hear something from the SEC in terms of a schedule and you know how this thing's going to lay out. Because on paper anyway, this Friday we're supposed to have football teams getting into what is sort of like a fall camp, right? Yeah, I mean, the initial, the, the NCAA's preseason plan were for teams that had September 5th openings, uh, games would be able to start fall camp on August 7th. And, um, you know, asking around at Alabama, uh, they still, you know, aren't completely sure when they can start. It could be as early as this Friday. Um, I think that last week that the coaching staff was anticipating telling the players, hey, this is when we're going to start practice. Um, and the SEC hasn't made its decision on the schedule yet, so that's still kind of up in the air. And um, you know, we'll see. Uh, I think that's still just to be determined. And, and once 
the SEC makes this announcement and makes this schedule known, the, the ball really get to start rolling there. And, you know, we could be later this week on the practice field if it's open. Now, that's still something also that's to be determined is how much access are we going to have from a, a practice standpoint. For me, I didn't think that we were going to have any at all just because of the social distancing aspect of things. And, um, you know, just for a couple of viewing periods, you think that'd be the first thing cut from the list. But I think that kind of the plan changes each and every day. And, and right now it sounds like we might, and we'll see if, if we do have that, we'll be out there for practice reports, practice videos, everything we can do, uh, depending on, you know, how much we're allotted. But, um, it, you know, it, it could be this Friday. It could be, you know, pushed back like this season. So right now we're, Crazy, we're, all, dude. we're all in the gray area. 2020, bro. 2020, man. That's the only answer I know to give to folks when they ask me anything these days is 2020. That's all I know to tell them. Now, what we know to this point, and we've seen this around college football, and we've seen it here recently on multiple in multiple layers with the Pac-12 is the potential for opt-outs in the 2020 college football season. Um, again, not so much with the SEC to this point, um, but at Virginia Tech and Illinois in the last week, we've heard of players, Rayvon Bonner, the running back at Illinois, has opted out for the upcoming season. Caleb Farley, a projected first-round pick at the cornerback position from Virginia Tech has opted out. In the last couple of days, uh, the Players' Tribune, uh, you've seen uh, Pac-12 athletes really speak out in regards to not only concerns about health and with this COVID-19 situation, but social issues and uh, really a list of demands that were put out there. But again, um, how do you sort of envision that from the SEC perspective? You know, it makes big headlines like it has the last couple of days. And I, and I get it, and I can appreciate young folks if they feel like there are issues that need to be addressed, good for them. Use your voice while you can and get them to the forefront. Try to get them to the table and try to improve conditions for you and your teammates and uh, you know other folks and maybe your athletic department as much as you can. But uh, from what you've seen here in the last couple of days and, and what we've seen elsewhere, Charlie, what's kind of your expectation from that standpoint? Again, it's, it's, it's complex. And when you take it all in from those various angles – uh, it gives you a lot to think about. It does, yeah. And you know, we've seen reports come out. Um, I believe the Washington Post ran a story about you know, conversations with uh, SEC players and, and people in, in front offices about this season. And I, I don't think people should uh, question it as a as a you know lack of desire to play. I think everybody wants to play. I think that's really from an SEC perspective um, you have to keep in mind. But they're also, I mean. We've seen what this this virus can do and what it's done to people, and I think there's concerns over safety, and they want to be you know clear on that, especially with kids coming back to campus, um, you know now and, and in the coming weeks of you know are they going to be safe around their fellow students? Are they going to take it seriously? Are they going to go to parties and um, you know and, and and not be cautious and then come to class and, and get them infected? So um, it, it is a it, it makes sense that we've seen some of these things pop up, and then from a you know, a social justice issue, it is a situation where we've seen players, even at the SEC level, we saw Kylan Hill at Mississippi State. I mean, he just got the ball rolling on them to change their state flag. And uh, these these guys do have a voice. I think Alabama has 
went about it with a collective effort. We saw the the really powerful video they put out there that was written by Alex Leatherwood. And, um, you know, I haven't heard really anything from an opt out perspective and you got to look at it from obviously a bunch of different angles, but just, you know, look at what happened with the bowl game. You know, we were contemplating on how many guys could choose to not play in that citrus bowl against Michigan. Cause it was the first time that Alabama wasn't going to be playing in the college football playoff. And only a, a couple of guys chose to, to sit and they were both seniors who have had uh, injury history. So, um, obviously things can change and you know we don't know exactly what you know practice or the season will look like at this point but um it is something to to keep in mind because it is a situation we've seen at the nfl level we've had four um former alabama players choose not to play because of the the pandemic and um you know they either have family members that have you know are at high risk or uh they just don't feel safe at the moment so um you know we'll see what happens but it's a it's an issue that's at the forefront of the discussion, and I'm sure it's something that we'll continue to talk about in the, the coming days and weeks. Yeah, here's the thing about FBS football. If you've got 120-ish type of teams at the FBS level, and you've got 85 scholarship players on those teams, we're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 football players student athletes just in college football at the FBS level. I would venture to guess of those 10,000 players, it comes out to roughly 100 of them that go into a season like this with really any semblance of leverage in terms of their future as football players. In other words, guys that between their beliefs, uh, you know, where social injustice is concerned, where their beliefs and or involving COVID-19 uh, and or the, uh, the, the treatment uh, of student athletes in, in collegiate athletics. I think you could say there's probably 100 in football. And I say that because really we're talking about if we're talking three rounds of the NFL draft at 32 picks around, we're talking 96 picks in three rounds. That's 100 guys. That's kind of what I'm basing it on is their future in professional football, if we want to cut right through it. That's 100 guys. And out of 10,000 college football players at just the FBS level, that comes out to 1%. And again, this isn't to say these young people shouldn't use their voice. When they have the opportunity, I absolutely believe that should be the case. I just think this sort of perception or this momentum that comes every time we get one of these stories, um, it, 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 it doesn't have sustainability in terms of the greater good. I just don't think, just to use an example, okay, and this isn't, this isn't, don't read anything into this. Let's just say Alabama starting running back. I won't even use names. Alabama starting running back decides either between COVID, between social issues, between uh, lack of compensation for you know collegiate student athletes, that he's going to opt out for a season. And it also happens to be that he's probably a top three round pick. I, I don't, just because that happens, I don't envision a scenario where the second team running back is going to join the first team running back necessarily. You know what I'm saying? I think for most of these guys, Charlie, if we're being honest, 
they're going to look at situations like that and think next man up and, and, and more guys than not are going to continue to play. I just don't think there's the potential for this kind of mass exodus, uh, that, that maybe, you know, some other people might think there, there is. No, I agree with that. And um, you, you look at the guys that came back to Alabama that chose to, to spurn the 2020 NFL draft. They did so to improve their draft stock. And, you know, we, we've seen, uh, even with the mention of the, the hypothetical spring season, um, Alex Leatherwood's dad spoke to 24-7 Sports and said he thinks his son would play. So um, Alabama has guys that are are in town to, to play football and to better themselves. And we've seen Nick Saban and this staff when it comes to, to social issues and their platform be very supportive of that. And they're also supportive of the decisions they make and the, um, the lead up to the ultimate goal for a lot of these guys is to get to the league and they're willing to accommodate them and help them in any way they can and they're going to be supportive of that. They were, you know, they probably weren't happy that Terrell Lewis and Trayvon Diggs didn't play in the bowl game, but they were supportive of those decisions. And if guys choose to do that, and we're not saying that anybody has or will, but yeah. they will be supportive of that. But you're right. I mean, at a place like Alabama, where playing time, especially with the first team, is at a premium, when you have a guy that's at the top of that pecking order and expected to see a lion's share of the reps there when he decides to move on or if he decides to move on, that next guy seizes that opportunity and knows that's a precious opportunity that he um, is not willing to give up. So, yeah, I mean, if it comes to the point where maybe some games get cut from the schedule, maybe there's an outbreak or something, uh, obviously all of this is hypothetical, um, some guys could choose to, to shut it down. But I, I agree with you. I don't think it would be any type of mass exodus for guys choosing to leave Tuscaloosa. You know, I hey, look, the SEC, Power Five conferences – Financially, they got a lot to lose if there's not football in the coming months. I think we all understand that. And mm-hmm. at the same time, if they knowingly put young people in a bad spot from a health perspective, they've got everything to lose in that scenario. So I, I, I personally, and, and, I, and I don't feel like I'm being naive and believing this, I, if, if it's just untenable, I, I do think the powers that be will do what they need to do to protect the student athlete as much as possible. And again, that's understanding billions with a B are on the line in the coming months. Now, you know, some of this stuff we're seeing from the, the PAC 12 student athletes, I, I think name image and likeness, the one-time transfer rule coming up. I think when those things go into effect here in the next six to eight months, perhaps, I think the the SEC, well, the NCAA is going to say, well, here, that's going to cover a lot of what you're talking about in terms of compensation for players and, um, you know, things like that uh, and freedom of movement, those type of things. Uh, I do, I would say this as an, an addition to those things, I am of the belief that, you know, if it's a two-year post-grad or post-eligibility window that's out there for, you know, student athletes to have continued coverage from a health uh, insurance type perspective, I think that needs to be increased. I don't know, you know, an exact time frame that I would go with, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six years at least. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, I think that's the thing that probably needs to get talked about as much as anything. Sustaining care for these individuals once they're out of the program, not only in terms of health and mental health and those things, uh, but also, you know, and, and I and I do think there are you know situations, there are things in place now that you know allow them to continue to pursue a degree, a degree if they haven't completed that work. Uh, but these are the things that that need to be in place for sure. I would think. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that um, you, you talk about a lot of the agreements or the the, the demands that these Pac-12 players called for, and uh, a lot of those create some some heavy debates on message boards, on social media, and, and the like. But I think when it comes to to player safety and to player care, that's one that a lot of people can agree on, and it, it's it's obviously a little different than following their uh, NCAA career. You know, talking to a lot of former Alabama players this off season for our. Um, where are they now series a lot of them are dealing with health issues right now yeah. i mean keith mccants is a guy that's dealt with a, a lot of um a lot of stuff um don mcneil is a guy that has ms and uh he's you know he's in great spirits he's a, a man of great faith so you know he's placed his um issues there uh and is dealing with it as he knows how but these guys have real issues when they're done with football and um, you know, a guy like LeRon McClain, I talked to him last year, he's going through the same thing. So that's a situation um, that I think people get behind is getting these guys uh, the, the care they need for a little longer uh, until they get on their feet at least uh, because, and, and I think when it comes to Alabama, Nick Saban is completely behind that and at the forefront of that. We've seen these videos come out of their new sports science center and they've talked about the psychological aspect of things. They've showed off these new, um, you know, pools and these new um, sensory deprivation beds and all this stuff. They're all about, um, you know, giving back to the players, putting it back into the players and, and helping, you know, set them up and helping them when they come back to town as well. So I think that is something, though, that a lot of people can agree on and, and something that I think that should be at the forefront of the discussion for the NCAA. Yeah, I've said it many times before. When you talk about investment into the student athlete, a place like Alabama is without peer. And as you mentioned, the new Sports Science Center is just a, a continuation of that. And it it's something that keeps Alabama on the leading edge of that as the parent of a recently uh, graduated Division One student athlete. I love the the increased emphasis on mental health. Mm-hmm. I think that goes overlooked far too much uh, in collegiate athletics. We get so caught up in ankles, knees, you know, and in the physical aspect that we don't think about anxiety issues. We don't think about the the overwhelming sort of crush that some of these young people, you know, feel as a result of their uh, academic workload combined with, you know, trying to compete at the highest level and, you know, four hours a day of sports, traveling, all that goes with it. Uh, it sounds glamorous and in some instances, in some ways it is, but there is, believe it or not, a price that is paid. And as you just pointed out, and we talked about here in the last few minutes, it extends. It's not like it just is better the moment these folks are done with their eligibility. They're all better now. You know, there are, there are tons of instances where it is, we're talking about long-term 
type situations that, that these people are dealing with. Yeah, I will add that um, it, HBO just put out a thing called the the Weight of Gold. It's one of their sports documentaries, and it's about that very subject of, of the Olympians once they're done competing for the Olympics because those guys are training from when they're uh, very young and they're all laser focused on this one goal and and that yep. you know that can have to long or lead to long lasting effects and um you know when it comes to facilities and stuff yes alabama is at the forefront of that and if some people will say well you know student athletes don't care about that they want to be paid and and i think some of them deserve that that's a completely different discussion but also when you see that on the list of their demands that health insurance and and the tenderness to, to uh mental health is is on there it shows that that's something that more people uh, need to to focus on. Alabama's done a good job of that, but it is a, a real issue, and and I think that that's one that's easily um, kind of indicated for 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 maybe not paying enough attention to. Yeah, and you know I know that in the Pac-12 instance here in the last couple of day couple of days, there's been a demand about fifty percent of revenue uh, in each sport is evenly spread among student athletes and there. That's not going to happen because the model, uh, isn't sustainable. I think the model's going to change a pretty good bit in the coming year, just with name image and likeness. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't see how you can maintain an athletic department of say 25 to 30 sports teams when two are making the money mm-hmm. to try to, cover for everybody and then you've got title nine implications involved uh that's a federal thing that's not just a, that's not an ncaa thing that's that's like federal law with title nine we're talking about here so you know i don't know how you move that dirt so to speak um but uh yeah it's going to be very interesting to, to watch play out regardless um as we get out of here on this edition of the bama online podcast i'm travis schreier joined by charlie potter uh, let's talk about John Petty and kind of where he's at because, well, we know where he's at. He's at decision day based on the withdrawal deadline for the upcoming NBA draft. Charlie, what's the latest there on the senior guard from Huntsville? Yeah, today is the day. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the NBA, NBA off season has been a hectic one. And, um, a lot of these guys haven't got to work out at all for teams. And it's a situation where, um, you know, Nate Oates and his staff have felt like today would be the day, or at least they, it would string out to this point for for Petty to make a decision. I think Alabama is expecting him to announce something today. Um, if he hasn't already, I, I, I doubt it has come out at this point. But um, I think they remain cautiously optimistic. I know he's been uh, in Tuscaloosa. I know he spent some time in Huntsville as well, but he's been in Tuscaloosa, tried to stay around the team and um, you know in some Zoom meetings and things like that. So that's always a good sign. But um, you know he can't do much else with the NBA kind of starting back and focusing on their their current players and and the season that they've ramped up down in Orlando. So um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think, like I said, people have been cautiously optimistic that he will. Uh, choose to return to Alabama for his senior year and if he does so Alabama is going to have a very interesting and and very talented uh, roster if he doesn't I think that they you have made some moves to to add some combo guards to that roster to to make up for it but um, you know regardless I think a lot of people will be looking at his social media accounts and, and things from Alabama to see what he decides today thought it was interesting over the weekend Charlie that Isaiah Joe 
the junior shooting guard from Arkansas announced that he would return for at least another season in Fayetteville. And I say that because I look at Joe and Petty as being pretty similar, you know, six, five, six, six ish type two guards. Uh, I think Joe shot it at 41% from three uh, this, in this most recent season. We know John Petty was, I believe the SEC's top three point shooter uh, as a junior and it is. It's it's really interesting to think about this team moving forward either way. Um, you know, with John Petty, well, you know, you've got Javon Quinterly stepping in there. You know, you've got Jaden Shackelford coming back. You know, you've got Herb Jones that can play a number of positions. You know, you've got a guy like Josh Primo coming in. You know, you've got a junior college transfer like Keon Ellis coming in. Um, so, yeah, you include Petty in that mix. Uh, you know, Oates is, is going to have the incredible luxury of, uh, being able to, to go deep, uh, into that bench. And, you know, with the way he likes to play, I would think that'd be a, a pretty nice advantage. I do too. And, um, you know, Petty would make this team better. Uh, he's a guy that really took on the, the role of, of a rebounder last year, but I mean, everyone knows what he can do as a shooter and with the guards that they have, even with losing a guy like Kyra Lewis, getting Javon Quinterly on the floor. Finally, we saw Jaden Shackford take a huge strides last year as a true freshman. Uh, the coaching staff's really high on Josh Primo. He's a guy that's even been mentioned as a potential lottery pick next year uh, after his freshman season. So uh, you look at just those four names alone, like you mentioned, or those three names alone, like you mentioned, um, and adding Petty to that mix, uh, it's it's nasty. And I, I think a guy like Keon Ellis is going to be in the mix as well. So that gives yeah. you five. So, um, yeah, it's the roster, I think, has a lot of flexibility and versatility. We saw uh, you know, Petty was able to play some four last year, maybe more um, out of need than anything else. But that experience, that exposure will help him. So. Um, with what NATO likes to do and to, to move guys around and to uh, open up the floor for his shooters, it's just uh, a lot of weapons. I'll say that. I think that's going to do it, Charlie. I think we've got plenty to look ahead to this week, no doubt, at BamaOnline.com. Charlie, always with a lot of great stuff for us there on the website. And so you're going to want to keep it locked to BamaOnline.com in the coming days and weeks. Hey, Charlie, as always, appreciate it. No problem, man. Always good to catch up. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. Have a great great start to your week, everybody. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.